You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. I'm going to miss that video. I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss it. That video and I have been through a lot together. We've gone through different seasons of life. Good morning. Welcome to Salad Ground. How are we doing today? 930? Are we doing all right? Woo! Woo! Man. Well, listen, if we haven't met, my name's Bert. I'm one of the pastors here. I get to bring the word today. And man, what a fun word it is. Because we are wrapping up a series on the book of Revelation, a series about the end of the world as we know it. So do me a favor, turn to the person sitting next to you and say, I feel fine. Good. Right now. All around the room. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, also, if you have a Bible, do me a favor, open up to Revelation chapter 21 is where we're going to be today. Revelation 21. Uh, while you're turning there, let me just let you know, this is an interesting Sunday. And the reason it's interesting is a couple things. Number one, we want to celebrate something, all right? And they didn't know I was going to do this, but I just want to celebrate this. Today, Marissa and Zach Murray is their one-year wedding anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. And get this, and get this, they came to church on their anniversary and have been serving all morning. I'm just blown away by that, man. That's awesome. Next thing, today's sermon, and you should just know this, if it's your first Sunday with us, know that we are so glad that you're here. But just know that like today, it's like you're walking in at the end of a movie, okay? Because we're not just wrapping up one series. Today, we're actually wrapping up the culmination of about nine months of sermons. We started way back in January. We did a series on the book of Genesis and themes that Genesis introduced way back in January. It never answered them, but Revelation will today. And so if you're like, man, I feel a little bit lost, don't worry. All the messages are online for free on our website, solidground.church. And so if you feel lost, you can watch them. Do your homework. That's what I'm saying. Man. So all that said, here's what I want to set, or the way that I want to set it up would be this, okay? Every now and then when we share our faith, we meet people who are bitter towards the idea of God. Yeah? Like maybe that's where you are today. If that is, we're glad you're here. Every now and then like, we meet people and they're like, okay, listen, I, I just don't believe in the God thing. I think it's very immature of you. It's like a fairy tale. And it usually within our culture comes back to this idea that, okay, I'm angry at God about something or I look at something in the world and people ask this question invariably. Maybe you've asked it or you've heard it. Here's this. How could you believe in a God who blank? Right? That's the question. Okay, like, how could you believe in a God who, okay, lets bad things happen? Like, how could you believe in an all-powerful, loving God? If, 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 you know, like, if God loves me, then why is there this? Why is there disease? Why is there sickness? Why is there injustice? Why is there death? Why is there, why is there, why is there? Right? And, and the thoughts kind of come about and we go, okay, listen, there's a disconnect because, because it seems as though if we say that God is still good in the midst of the storm, then what we're doing is we're ignoring the reality of pain in the world. And a lot of people, they just check out with that. And they're like, listen, I just can't believe in your fairy tale book. And the reason that I can't is because it's unrealistic. Like you're telling me that God created this big, great world and, they may, and then, like, I should just ignore the reality of the world that I've experienced. I should just ignore the reality of the heartache that I felt. And so it's here as we go forward, we need to clarify something about the Bible because we're wrapping up the Bible today. And here's what it is, okay? The Bible does not teach us that God created a broken world. And this is what we saw way back in Genesis, that when God created the world, the world that he created is different than the world that we believe in. 
right? And so like we find on day one, like okay, God looked and saw that it was good. Day two, God looked and saw that it was good. Day three, God looked and saw that it was good. But what happened was this, a rebellion of our first parents, and we'll get to that a little bit more later, broke creation, broke all of it. Introduced sin, introduced evil, introduced suffering, introduced pain, introduced death. This came not from the world that God created, but the world that we created. And creation has been limping on ever since. The Bible does not teach that God created a broken world. In fact, it says the opposite. Here's what it says. It tells us that sin broke the world. That sin broke the world. That the rejection of the author of life brought death. That sin broke the world and share, and then the Bible what it does is it shares in God's plan of redemption from it. That's okay. Like when the Bible starts out, it's okay. Here's how God created it. This is what happened. And now what we find is that God is in the process of redeeming creation. So let me just say it like this, all right? For those of us who are sort of caught in the in-between, that, I mean, and all of us are at different points in our lives where we know what's coming, but we experience the right now, and we're like, oh my gosh, God, where are you? And for the one who's bitter towards God, l- let me just say it this way. So one of my pet peeves in life, if you're just curious, if you're doing your Burt homework, he- here's what it is, okay? I can't stand, I just cannot stand it. If I'm making dinner, and while I'm making dinner, one of my kids walks up and complains about how they're hungry. I, have you ever had that? Like, parent, you're talking about, like, okay, I'm, I'm working on this. I'm making on, like, a frittata. I don't know, like, just making something, right? I've never made frittatas. So I don't know why I said that. Like, okay, like, but like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this right. It's just a funny word. And my kids will come in, and they'll be, and they'll be like, I'm hungry. And I'm like, do you see the thing that I'm doing right now? Or we'll be driving in the car. We'll be going to a restaurant. Like, uh, like, literally, like, hey, guys, get in the car. We're going to Chick-fil-A, right? And we're, and we're in motion, like, in on the road. And I'm like, when are we going to eat? What do you think I'm doing right now? I do not have the creative power to whip up a chicken sandwich from nothing and hand it to you back there. Like, I'm taking you to the place. You ever been there? Thank you. Don't judge me. Some of you are just staring at me. Gosh. All right, look. But here's the thing. Okay? When, we, when, when we look at the brokenness of, of creation, like the reality, like I would say, listen, my, my, my kids' needs are legitimate. When they're hungry, they should express that they're hungry. Like, that pang is there. But, but, Yet it doesn't acknowledge the reality of what I'm doing. I think the same is true with the brokenness of the world where when we face down God and we're saying like, God, the world isn't good. The world isn't good. The world isn't good. And he would say, I know, and I'm working on it. That's, that's the scriptures going forward. Like it breaks and this is God's plan of redemption for it. And so here's what we saw all those months ago in January, our first parents. So God creates man, a guy named Adam. And he creates human beings in his image, meaning uh, as God is the ruler of creation, they represent God in creation. And God creates this, this beautiful, close, intimate friendship with our first parents. And so he creates Adam and, and, he, and he walks through life with him face to face in the garden. And it says, you know, God would bring the man, the animals, and just to see what he'd call them. I mean, just this, this, this kinship. Like, Adam, what do you think that should be called? you elephant. <laughs> and God, then that's what it's going to be called. Adam, what do you think that should be called? Duck-billed platypus, which is a weird animal. Can we just acknowledge that? All right. Okay, then that's what it's going to be called. Just, uh, all right. And it says that among all of God's creation, no suitable helpmate was found for Adam. And so God creates woman. And the very first words are actually like re- recorded verbatim out of a human being's mouth 
in the Bible come from Adam towards Eve when he sees her. He breaks out in song. Like it's, it's Hebrew poetry when it comes to him. She's like, this now, oh, she's different than everything else. For she's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and just celebrates and erupts. And, and for the first time, like marriage enters the world and, and the man and wife, they walk through life together. Loving God, loving each other. And then a deceiver walks into the garden. Your enemy, that ancient serpent, Satan. And he begins to try and tempt them to walk away from God in literally the only way they can be tempted. When God sets up the garden in which they, they live, he says, listen, you can eat from anything here. The only thing that you must not eat of is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because on the day that you eat of that, you will die. And so what do they choose? They choose to eat. The only way they can reject God's lordship over them, they take. And when they do that, creation breaks because they represented God to creation. They were, they were his, for lack of a better phrase, middle management. And in so doing, they handed over creation from God to our enemy. And all the evil of the world and all the injustice and all the calamity and all the pain begins to seep into creation. And so God comes into the garden for the first time their relationship is disrupted. And he mourns that. In fact, here's God's reaction to the fall in Genesis 3.22. It says, and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And this phrase right here that we translate as knowing is the Hebrew word yada. It's not just like a, a head knowledge or, oh, you know, I know this fact or that fact. It's an intimate, like experiential knowledge. That's why it's often actually translated to talk about sex. Like just so that, like that knowing another person, like that, that like intimate knowledge. And he says, listen, so it's not just that they know about good and evil, it's that they're experiencing and doing good and evil. And so it says, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand to take also from the tree of life. And just highlight this phrase in your minds, okay, because we're going to come back to this, like this is going to be a big deal, the tree of life, okay, and eat and live forever. So basically what God says, listen, okay, now they've been infected with something. And if I allow them to eat from this thing, the, the tree of life, they will live forever in a way that causes them nothing but pain, sickness, disease, death, because now their nature has been infused with brokenness. And so if they eat of this tree, what will happen is they will live forever, but creation will forever be doomed to decay. And so it says that God just removed them from the garden. And that's the last that we hear about the tree of life for a while. And the story went on in Genesis, and we saw this, okay? Like, we watched people again and again and again, like, as, as like the apex of human rebellion could be done, so they did. As far as anybody could go away from the Lord, as far as anybody could rebel against God, they did it again and again and again. Until so as God sort of waded through the mess, we began to understand he wasn't done with us. In fact, he was going to redeem creation. And it started with one guy, a guy named Abraham. And God steps in this light, this, this guy who's a nobody in history. He's not a ruler. He's not particularly rich at this time. He has no notoriety. In fact, he has no descendants. And God just picks that place to step in. And he, he shows up to Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and says, okay, even though you're past the age of childbearing, I'm going to bless you with a son. And from you, he says, all nations will be blessed. Me, I'm going to do something through you and your lineage that will redeem all of the world. And so where there was no life, God created life. Isaac, remember? And then from Isaac came Jacob, 
whose name became Israel. And from, from Israel became all these tribes and all these kids, as, as numerous as the, the stars in the sky. All these descendants came from this one guy, and they were called the people of God. What they would do is represent God to the rest of the world and be a light. From them, God would do something. And as they grew, they became a threat. And so they were enslaved by the Egyptians. You remember the story? And so God raised up a guy named Moses. And he said, listen, I just want you to go, I'm going to redeem my people. I'm going to save them. And it had nothing to do with them. God was going to do it. And he did. He set them free. He brought calamity on Egypt. He set them free from slavery. And we recognize now looking back on it, this is ultimately a physical representation of what God has done in us spiritually. When we were powerless within ourselves, God set us free. And so he sets them free. He takes them out into the wilderness and he begins to say, listen, I want to relate to you. I want to use you to let the rest of the world know me. And Moses, he's sitting here and he just begins to fall in love with the Lord because he sees all these things that God's doing. Like as God just supernaturally provides for them again and again and again. Wow, wow. And so Moses reaches this moment where, you know, he's, he's on this mountain, Mount Sinai, and he's talking with God. He's like, I just want to know you. He's like, listen, you've been doing all this stuff, but let me just know your name. Let me just know what you're like. Let me just see you. Can I just see you? And in this moment, we understand how broken the relationship between man and God has become. Because God says, oh, I want you to. You don't even know how much I want you to. And what I'll do, listen, I'll protect you. I'll put you in this, this cleft of a rock, and I'm just going to let all of my glory pass by you. You're going to see me, but Moses, there's a thing you have to understand. I can't let you see all of it. And so in Exodus 33, 20, he says, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Now think about this. If God is Father, how gut-wrenching that would be if humanity is his children. You can't look at my face. Because we understand now, we've been infected by something into a holy God. If he were to look on us in all of his glory, with all of his face, we would be consumed and obliterated. Sin has taken that much of a hold of us. But God says, listen, I'm going to do some damage control, all right? And I'm going to, listen, you're going to be my people, and I want you to live in a certain way that tells the rest of the world that you're mine. So he begins to give them a law. He begins to say, listen, here's how to follow me. And he gives them a bunch of rules. And all they are is damage control. The rules can't change hearts. The rules can't make people be more godly. But what they can do is illuminate what godliness looks like. And so this law is given. But the law is powerless. But it isn't bad. It just shows, listen, here's how we keep things from going bad to worse. And so Paul writes about this years later, and he's reflecting on the nature of the laws and the commands. And he says this in Romans 7, 7. He says, I would not have known what sin was if it had not been for the law. I mean, if like God hadn't spoken and said, don't do this, or don't, I, I would have had no clue what was right and what was wrong. And he, and he gives an example. He says, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had said, or had not said, you shall not covet. Oh, I shouldn't do that. Okay. He goes, but here's how heinous the situation is. Here's how bad things are in your heart and mine. He says, listen, but here's the thing to understand. Next verse, he says, but sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. Meaning, okay, like the law said, don't covet. And the re response of me was not, to go, okay. It actually made me want to covet more. Have you had that experience? Like, okay, I know I shouldn't do this. And then somehow the, the not doing the forbidden fruit mm, makes me want to do it more. Hands up. Don't actually don't put your hands up, right? <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, okay, like I, what is that? Okay, it's this nature in us. It's not about ruling. There's something off within us. And it wasn't as simple as just 
giving commands and making us live better. And you can look at all this and you can say, well, why doesn't God just end it? Why doesn't he just change all of it? Okay, like if, if creation broke like that, why doesn't he just fix all of it now? And Jesus actually gives a parable about that in Matthew 13. He says, listen, you understand what the world is like right now. Like, why is there pain? Why is there sickness? Why is there death? Why is there injustice? He goes, it's like this. Imagine a farmer sowed some wheat in a field. And in the middle of the night, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. He goes, all right, then in the morning, the, the, the farmer servants, they come and they go, look what your enemy did. And, and or he says, like, who did this? And he goes, it was my enemy. And they go, well, do you want us to uproot the weeds? He goes, no, if you do that, it'll destroy the wheat and we won't have a harvest. The only way to actually let it work out is to let the weed and the weeds, yeah, the wheat and the weeds, there it is, grow to their full potential. And then when they're grown, we'll take them all out and sort them. And Jesus goes, that's what this world is like. What I'm doing is letting things go as far as they can so that they can be sorted. Because listen, here's the problem, okay? If we say, oh, listen, well, God should obliterate this and obliterate that. Have you noticed that our definition of evil always goes to whatever it is we're not doing? Have you noticed that? Like, like it's interesting, okay? We basically think, okay, well, God should get rid of this guy or that girl, but not me. Like, it's okay when I do bad things. And God should just understand, but, but them, no. And let's take it a step further. What, what about, okay, what if, okay, somebody does something really, really bad, but they have like children and grandchildren who aren't like that. Should God have gotten rid of the first person so that this lineage never takes place? Wouldn't that be unjust? Of course, because here's the problem. If you're taking notes, write this down. The problem isn't those people over there. The problem's in us. The problem's in us. It's not just a select group of people that we want to target and say, they're the bad ones, but not me. No, the problem is it's taken root in all of us. And so here's God, and he's working to redeem creation. And at just the right moment, at just the right moment, when it could not be more perfect, Jesus steps down into the world. And 1 John 3, 8 says it like this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The reason the Son of God appeared, he came in to undo what was done in the fall. All of that damage, all of, all of that, you know, that treason, all of it, okay? Jesus came to begin the change of creation. And so if the devil brought temptation, he came to overthrow the devil. If the devil worked to bring sin in us, he came to undo the sin. And we saw this, right? We saw that, okay, in the life of Jesus, the very first thing that he did was die for you and me. Like all of us, through our rebellion, what we should receive is the wrath of God on us. But Jesus took that wrath on himself because he never sinned. Jesus died in our place to wipe away the consequence of our rebellion. And then he rose from the dead to break the power of death part of the curse of the fall. But it goes beyond that. You see, because here's the, the next thing that happened. Because our sin has been wiped away in the eyes of God, suddenly now the Holy Spirit, the holy without sin Spirit of God can now dwell within people who receive Christ and his sacrifice because their sins have been wiped away. So now the Holy Spirit can come into believers and begin to change us in a way that rule keeping never could. Whereas the law was powerless to change us, now the Spirit, through what Jesus has done, indwells us and begins to make us not, not obligatory, like follow God's command. Like he changes us so he changes our nature. That's 
the work of Jesus. He came to undo the work of the devil. And last week in Revelation, what we saw was Jesus' final overthrowing of Satan, right? Literally like grabbing the devil by the neck and throwing him into hell. And that's, I bet you thought I forgot about Revelation. No, I didn't, I didn't. That's where our, our chapters today pick up. And so we see, okay, within this vein of the Son of God destroying the work of the devil, here's what we see in Revelation 21, starting in verse one. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So creation has been ravaged by all the work of the enemy at this point. Like we've seen the rise and fall of the Antichrist. We've seen the war. We've seen the, the plagues. We've seen the famine. And the earth has been decimated by it. So he says, I saw a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. So things have gotten so bad, there's not even an ocean. That's pretty bad. And he says, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, which is the place where it's the center of the worship of God on the earth, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I love that. Let's just pause on that for a second here. Like the language of that. Um, those of you who are married, you remember the anticipation of your wedding day? Remember that, like, if you've been dating for a while and you're just, like, looking forward to that, like, oh, my gosh, we're going to finally make this. Like, we're going to finally be married, right? And, and, and or you think through, like, remember that moment that you first saw your spouse at the altar or, or the first look now? Like, that thing, like, that people do, like, like you get pictures, like, we're, we're not going to wait. We're going to snap, snap, and then we'll all just go, like, that in every picture. You know what I'm talking about? Whatever. So, look, <laughs> whatever, it's fine. Okay, but, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, that's sort of like that, like, we've been waiting, we've been waiting, we've been waiting for this moment, and when you see that person, you're just like, ah, oh, right? And, like the, like, the love is overwhelming, and you're just so excited to not hold back from each other anymore. You're going to begin this life together. I mean, like, is there a more perfect illustration of the culmination between God and his people? It's like a bride coming down the aisle, and he goes, he goes yeah, it's just going to be like that. This idea of like, I've been waiting for you, I've been waiting for you, and now we're together, and, and now, like that anticipation and that, and that longing, and like, like, all of creation has been longing for the Lord to bring these things about. He goes, it's just like that. And he says, all right, and I heard a voice, a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. There's always been this separation since the fall, but no, 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 now, now he's with us. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And look at this next line. Some of you just need to hear this. For the one who came in just limping today, like it took everything that you had just to get here because of what you've gone through this week. I want you to hear this next line, verse four. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Do, do, do you know that? The one who's like, my God, do you even care? He's, he's, he's longing for that moment, just no more. No more. He says, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Why? Because the old order of things has passed away. Literally, the old way of life has died. Think, okay, like the way where, there, where there's sickness, the way where there's injustice, the way where there's, there's backstabbing and hurt, it's gone. Just gone. And somebody, I just, I, I got this sense, okay, like that somebody just needed to hear the reality of this today. And, and so I just want to put it really, really bluntly and just, just encourage you with hope as we see this looking forward in the future, just maybe you just need to write this down. Listen to me, okay? It won't always be this way. Do you know that? 
Like for the one right now, and, and you're struggling, you don't even know if your marriage is going to make it, and you're like, oh man, like God, are you even there? And, and, and you've experienced heartbreak, and you're like, gosh, I didn't know that I could be hurt like this. It won't always be this way. For the student, okay, like, my, like the people at school are jerks, and then I don't have any friends, and there's this, and this. it won't always be this way. For the one, okay, well, God, like, where's the money? Because I'm going to lose the house if you don't show up, and I don't know what's going to happen, and, and, and I don't even have a job. I have no process. It won't always be this way. Just hold on. Just hold on. It won't always be this way. In fact, within that vein, Jesus gives a promise that is so phenomenal that I just, just, Soak it in. Verse 5, he says this. He who was seated on the throne, talking about Jesus, said, I am making everything new. I'm making everything new. Do you know that? Do you know, listen to me, that he makes all things new. Write that down. Listen, he makes all things new. I'm going through it, and I have no hope, and I have no idea what he's going to do. He makes all things new, and Jesus, it's, it's presence. I am making all things new. Even though you can't see it, I'm working towards it right now. This is where I'm taking things. What does it mean, all things new? It's a place of healing. It's undoing the old way of things. Take that. Lock that in your heart. He makes all things new. He does. He does. In fact, he goes, do you want to know how true that is? John, do you want to understand whether or not that's going to happen? Listen to this. He says, verse 5. Then he said, write it down. <laughs> you don't believe me? Put it in writing. Hold me to it. See if I don't. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. My gosh. And we can look at this and be like, okay, but yeah, it doesn't feel like they are. I'm caught in the in-between right now in my life. That's not my experience right now, Jesus. How do I know that this is how it's going to be? How do I know that you're actually redeeming all this? How do I know that I can have hope right now that my situation will not remain the way that it is forever? Hey, let me just preach that for a second here. Do you understand that you serve a God who makes all things new? Do not let yourself be robbed of hope. Do not let yourself be robbed of the reality that you serve a healing, restoring, reforming God. You serve a God who puts relationships back together. You serve a God who gives hope, and even if you're hope from this life is taken from you you have an eternal one that can't be write it down he says it's trustworthy and true and he said if you want to know how you can know that's the truth he says this in verse six he said to me it's done it's done i am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end remember how revelation started with all that and we started with jesus just saying that over and over and over again i'm the alpha and the omega i'm the alpha and the omega and what that meant was okay the alpha is the first letter of the greek alphabet omega is the last and he goes listen i'm everywhere i'm at the beginning i'm at the end it's not as though i'm confined to this moment i created time i'm outside of it and jesus goes listen to me listen to me it's done it's not of if if it will happen to me it's already happening it's going on right now. And I understand you're linear and you're moving towards that moment, but it's already done. It's already, it's not a matter of if, it's when for us. It's done. You have the promise. And if you're in Christ, you have the promise of this reality. This is where it's going. This is where your life is going. Eventually, it will end up right here. Why? Because it's done. It's done. Jesus, I, my work is, it's, it's over. I've got it. I've got it. And you go, what does that mean for me right now? What does it mean for you right now? It's as though Jesus just anticipates that question. And so the next verse, he says this to the thirsty. 
I will give water from the spring of the water of life. Hey, hey, Saligran, are you thirsty this morning? Come on, come on. Are, are you thirsty? And you're, you're going, oh my God, gosh, I, 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 my soul is parched. I, what will happen here? I'm only just, for, for the one who is thirsty in your soul and you're just longing for that sustenance. Your relationship with God, you, you think has evaporated and you go like, well, does God even care? Does God even want me? <laughs> oh man. Give water without cost. You, you know why that phrase is there? Because Jesus already bought the water. I mean, I'm not gonna charge you for it. It is not about you earning something from God. Okay, I've gotta do this and then God will take me. I've gotta do that and then God will want me. Then God will accept me. Then like, if I just achieve this, then therefore God must. No, no, no. I'll just give it to you. I'll just give it to you. I've, I've already paid for it. It's mine to give. You just take it. Or for the one who's parched in your soul, just stick with the Lord. Hey, for, for the one, you're thirsty and you don't even know it. And so you go from thing to thing to thing to thing. Do you recognize your thirst? Okay, if I just had this, then I'd be all right. Can I preach that for a second? Okay, if, I, like if life was just this way, then I would be satisfied. I wouldn't be thirsty anymore. And the this varies with person. If I just had a boyfriend, if I just had a girlfriend, if I just had a spouse, if they just popped the question, you know, if, I, if we just had kids, if we just had grandkids, hey, if I just had a different job, hey, if I just lived in a different house, if I just made a little more money, if I just had a different car, if I just had somebody who actually liked me, if I just had so-and-so be my friend, if I just, if I just, if I just, and you don't recognize it, you're thirsty. You're thirsty. <laughs> and Jesus goes, I'll give you water without cost from the spring of life. And all you have to do is ask. You have not because you ask not. Will you ask? And Jesus goes, and if you want to walk in that, if you want to be sustained by that for the rest of your life, you just come to me again. And again, how many of us the reason we're not satisfied is because we go everywhere but God to have our needs met. He goes, I'll give you the water. And so he says in verse seven, those who are victorious will inherit all this. Hey, if you stick with me, if you, if you Jesus would say like, if, if you walk with me until the end, if you're victorious, okay, you'll have this. And he says, and I love this line, and I will be their God and they will be my children. And sometimes I think what's interesting to us is, or it's interesting to me, is, is how much this phrase, like being children of God, has lost the significance that it, that's intended to give. Like it's just as a religious phrase that we just kind of say it and everything, right? Like, like oh, we're, we're all God's children. And, like, and we, just, we over and over again say it, not thinking through the ramifications of it. Like the idea that God would behave towards us as a parent is mind-boggling. I mean, really, like, really, like, have we ever thought about this? Like, that God would actually want to be a parent to us. And here's why I think this is so significant, okay? Because the more that I minister, and the more that you minister, you're going to find this the case, okay? In this generation, this is a fatherless generation. Have you noticed that? So many young men, so many young women, like they're just, because there have been so many men who have been allowed to, to abandon their children with no repercussions other than maybe some alimony. And it leaves these wounds gaping in people's hearts because we were made for parents. 
Plus, some of you, like, your therapy bills are coming from a parental failure. Don't raise your hands. Mom did this. Dad didn't, didn't do that. How many people do I watch? Okay, there are young women who come in, and they're just desperate for a man because they, like, they go from boyfriend to boyfriend to boyfriend because dad was never there. And so they hope, that, okay, maybe this guy will fulfill this longing that he left. I'll be their, their father. They'll be my children. How many young men do I watch who just like, it's so, like, even though they don't know me, they're desperate to impress me. And, and for me to just give them some sense of approval, like, oh, it's good that you're doing that, man. Hey, Bert, did you see this thing that I did? Why? Because, I'm, like, because they've been lacking that father. And God says, I'll be it. I'll be it. Hey, for those of you who, who are, are, are going through life with the absence of a parent in your entire life, you have been believing that you were lacking. I need you to hear this. You have the greatest opportunity to experience an intimacy with God the Father because he wants to be your father. You're not lacking anything. In fact, he wants you to know him as a good father. Know that today. Do me a favor, jump over to chapter 22. We gotta wrap this thing up, all right? So it says this. The angel showed me the river of water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and in the Lamb. So remember we've talked about how the, the, the city, of, the new Jerusalem has come down to the new earth, like the, God is dwelling among people. His throne is now among people. That throne that we saw all the way back in Revelation 4 and 5 with the elders falling down, like it's here. It's now on this new earth, okay? And it says, a great sea, uh, in the middle of the great sea of the city. And look at this next phrase, guys, because we're gonna come full circle now. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. Remember that all the way back from Genesis? Remember? Yeah, the Bible book ends with it. It begins and ends with this tree. And, and you know, is it literal? Is it symbolic? Sure. Here's the idea. Here's the idea. Creation has now come to a place where all of the curse of the fall has been scrubbed away. And so now God's people can have what he intended for them at the beginning. Now they can live forever because they're not doomed to rebellion and sin. Now they can live forever because sickness has been destroyed and corruption has been vanquished. Now creation can be as God intended it to be. And so when the person's like, well, how could a loving God allow this? Come back to this. This is what a loving God wants. This right here. This is, this, this is the God of the Bible. This is where he's taking things. All right. And so he says, like, this in the tree of life. What does it do? Next verse bearing 12, trops, or 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. We see God's just bringing people together and, and healing them. And look at this. Oh my gosh, guys. This next, this next verse, just, it's money. Bookmark it, highlight it, do whatever you gotta do. No longer will there be any curse. Do you, do you know that's the reality? That's where it's going. Like, no, like, what's the curse? Everything that's the result of the fall. And John goes, I'm looking at this and I realize as I'm seeing this here, no longer, there is no more brokenness at all. Verse three says, the throne of God and the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. And, okay, and I want you to remember, remember all those years prior to this, 
when, when God first began to speak to Moses, right? Remember how he read Mount Sinai, how Moses was like, show me your glory. Like, let me see your face. And God's like, you can't see my face because you'll die. Remember that? All those years prior, look at the next verse, verse four. They will see his face. They'll see his face. That intimacy is restored. That, rela- that broken relationship is put back together. That, that rift has been, has been healed. Like in this moment, we are back with God where we should have been, where the fall took us away from. We're now back with him. He goes, he goes listen, they'll see his face and his name will be on their foreheads, meaning the nature of God will be etched into how we think. It won't just be, I'm gonna try to do this. I'm gonna try to, no. It'll be part of who we are. Following him will be what we do. It will be in our nature. And he says in verse 5, there will be no more night. There will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign with him forever and ever. That's the promise for those of you who are in Christ. And I just want you to take that in for a moment. Okay, Listen, for those of us who know Jesus, we don't mourn like those who have no hope. For those of us who are in Jesus, we know that death is not forever. We don't live just hoping to maybe survive this or that. No, we know that we live for him forever. We don't live like everyone else because we know that if we're in Christ, we will be with him as he is forever. And nobody can take that from you. Nothing can take that. That is your promise. That is yours from God himself. And so John's looking at all this. And Jesus is showing it to him. And he leans in and he just goes, John, John, I want you to know something. John. In verse 20, he says, he who testifies this, meaning the one who's showing him all this, just goes, yeah, I'm coming soon. Yes. Yes, I am. Yes, I am coming soon. And when I come back, this is all going to change. We've seen this in Revelation, right? Like what the return of Jesus brings and, and all the things that it changes and all the things that it heals and restores. Jesus, I'm coming. I'm coming soon. I want you to know all these things that I've been telling you about, they will happen. I'm coming. And I know for us, if we get cynical, we're like, okay, well, it's been 2,000 years. How soon is it? To an eternal God, it is the blink of an eye, but it will happen. Yes, I am coming soon. So John looks at this. And it's almost as though it's like his head just, it's just like he can't contain it. And so he responds in really the only way that any of us could. He just goes, amen. <laughs> and look at this line. Come, Lord Jesus. God, I, I can't do it myself. I can't produce that. But yes, please. Come, Lord Jesus. And he takes that, that desire, and he turns it into a prayer, and he ends it with a, the prayer to those that he's been writing to this entire time. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. May, may, may God sustain you through all of it. Revelation teaches us that God is still in control and to hold on, even when it feels like he's not. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. And that's the end of the Bible. Very last verse, right there. So what do we do with that? We do exactly what John did. We pray for the Lord to return. What else can we do? And so let's do it right now. Let's just, let's just seek the Lord together and just pray. Like Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord Jesus, we, we recognize things right now are not as they should be. They are not your intention. They are not the creation that you made. And Lord, we long, we long for the day for you to return. We long for the day when you will wipe every tear from our eyes. When the old way of things will be passed away. When, when death is gone and sickness is gone and corruption is gone and disease is gone and all these terrible things and famine and the brokenness and natural disasters like God we long for the day where those things aren't a thing 
Lord Jesus, we beg you, let us stick with you until the end, Lord Jesus. And so we cry out with our brother John, come, Lord Jesus, please come. We wait for you, we long for you. Like a bride being presented to the crew, Lord, we long with that anticipation to see you face to face. We love you. We praise you and we thank you for the promise of life that you've given us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.